Most of what is offered to us as human beings today in this world, all the paths that are offered to us, all of the coaching and instruction and the self-help, all is designed to do something. Uh, it's built on an unspoken premise. And you know what that is? How to alleviate your subconscious guilt. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey that you must do. It's something that you have to put the work in on, but oh my gosh, the <laughs> things that can come when you do decide to put that work yes, in. Yes, the things that come. That's yes. awesome. The things that you can experience when you actually put that work in, when yes. you don't expect someone else to do it for you, when you don't just sit in the pew hoping the pastor will tell you what to do and how to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's never going to happen But here. instead, you can critically think for yourself and grow your faith and know why you believe what you believe. So my name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. So good to be with you. We're going to wrap this series up today, everyone. And I just want to encourage you that, you know, our goal isn't to be exhaustive in any way, shape or form. And so if this is something that you really need to do, and, and I would encourage you to set a goal in your spiritual walk over the next three months to really heal emotionally. And I would go by uh, McGee's book, Search for Significance. It was written back in like 1984, something mm -hmm. like that. It's a classic. And it even comes with a workbook now. It's 10 bucks on Amazon. And, and do the workbook. Just do it in your quiet time. Take 10 minutes each day and do it. And I think you are going to be absolutely amazed at how God... Uh, opens up a whole lot of new doors and does a lot of new work in your life. So this wasn't meant to be exhaustive, but to really help you figure out what you need to do to grow your faith. Well, and I, I've, I'm kind of sad to see this series come to a close. This is our last installment in this higher <laughs> value um, series. And, and I got to say, there's been some real growth in my life, but also people around me, we've had some really deep conversations about mm. where we're at and there's stuff that I thought, um, that I was still struggling with and having been here for three years and really yeah. gone through a process of letting some stuff go and, and yeah. giving it to God, I've, I've realized, Oh, this thing that I, that used to be such a huge part of my identity and yeah. caused so many issues in my life. I'm like, I was literally just having a conversation with my girlfriend last night and I was like, this issue with my dad that I'd had for so much of my life, I realized a lot of that's been healed. Like I thought, and it just sort of happened slowly over time. It was not this manifest movement where I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, I just let this all go. I just realized this thing that I've been actively praying towards and working on yeah. is now no longer this big huge, huge dark on, cloud yeah, over it's you like, uh, yeah. i've i've accepted some things i've i've dealt with some things and yeah. i've forgiven and yeah. now it's just <clears throat> what it is and so <laughs> there's it's a like, freedom in that yeah, isn't there so, yeah that's and, awesome and there's things that you know i need to work on still but there's yeah. also stuff that i'm like this process does work and i you know you've been kind of coaching me through some of this over the years not necessarily in this series specifically but just over the years and it's created this renewal that we've been talking about. It's created this thing of like, I don't have to let that dictate my life or who I am or yes. how I view myself anymore. Mm -hmm. And that has given me in tremendous freedom. And so um, I think if you feel like you are struggling with something emotionally, this series should really yeah. spur you on to starting That's that our process. Hope and and I mean, I'm slow and dumb, so it may not take <laughs> you three years, but it's taken me about three years. So. 
Well, I'm still working on it, and I'm in my upper 50s, so. <laughs> so if we could boil it all down to one thing um, that is stopping most people from experiencing uh, a renewal emotionally, what would it be, Pastor? Well, I'd, I'd say it's guilt. You know, okay. it's basically guilt. And guilt is really interesting because guilt, uh, psychological guilt, is like pain. It's like a pain receptor in your physical body. It's like, oh, you something hurts it. over here. There must be something wrong. You know, and it's really interesting. The number one disease in the New Testament that everybody's so afraid of is leprosy. You know, right. So, and what does leprosy do? A lot of people are not aware of what leprosy actually does to you. It kind of decays your skin, right? Like so, it's like boils nope. and sloughing. No, no, Am that's a symptom of it. Okay. But what it actually does is it kills the pain receptors in your nerves. So okay. you don't feel anything. So what happens is initially you get cut and you don't know it. Oh. It gets infected. And so you start getting all of these skin diseases and lesions. And so you, you stack up your diseases, but yeah. the initial you get all disease. these things. It's because you don't know, you don't know there's anything wrong, you know, because right. you don't feel anything. So some people are like, Oh, I wish I could feel no pain. And I go, uh -huh. uh, that's not such a good idea, <laughs> you know, but in the end, but here's the thing is psychologically guilt is what does that in your it's and guilt is something. It's really fascinating. Guilt is not a, uh, scientific materialistic phenomena. It only occurs in your mind. Mm. There's not, you can't like put you under an MRI and say, Oh, there's the guilt. There's the guilt. Yeah. You can't take a blood test and go, Oh, your guilt uh, enzymes are a little high today. <laughs> no, it's a hundred percent happens where in your brain. Psychologically. Okay? Yeah. It's psychological. And what's really fascinating is this, is that spiritual guilt and psychological guilt are two different things in the new Testament. Every time the Bible talks about guilt, it says there's guilt upon you. And we read these verses on Tuesday is that he's talking about positional guilt. Okay. In other words, you're separated from God. You're guilty. You see, you've been judged. Your, your sins are judged upon you. And so when Jesus redeems you and you're justified and then through propitiation pays the penalty, right? Then you're reconciled and accepted completely by God. Guess what? You are no longer guilty. And yet Christians feel guilty as much as Jewish people, it seems like, <laughs> who are masters at guilt. You know, I mean, that's the joke. But it's kind of interesting that way, isn't it? That we carry so much psychological guilt. I think a lot of it has to do too with people that have grown up in Christian homes or people who said they were Christians or they have exposure to church. You grow up, th those people really are unable to grow uh, and restored emotionally because of guilt, okay? Without realizing it. There's a ton of people who feel guilty all the time where we always feel guilty. And I think that's the one reason why people medicate so much. That's why people drink or go to parties. Why do you do that? You know, you want to go, you want to have fun and loosen up. Why can't, why can't you do it without a few drinks in you? Well, because you feel guilty. Mm. You see, you'd feel guilty. I can't act that way. I'm too self-conscious. Most of what is offered to us as human beings today in this world, all the paths that are offered to us, all of the coaching and instruction and the self-help, all is designed to do something uh, it's built on an unspoken premise. And you know what that is? How to alleviate your subconscious guilt. I mean, that's a pretty broad statement. Can you connect <laughs> some dots for us, Pastor? <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, guilt influences everyone at some 
level. Let's take you, for instance. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I consider you an achiever. You're a doer. I am. You are a hard worker, right? Okay. So what happens if you don't get everything done that you wanted to get done today? At the end of the day, do you go home and do you feel really great? Wow. There were 14 things that I didn't get done. Or do you feel guilty <laughs> guilty you see you're operating under the wrong premise pastor i don't end up going home because i f would then feel guilty so i just stay <laughs> to obscene <laughs> hours in the night in the morning so then i don't have to feel it anymore <laughs> but see that so what's motivating you to do that is the guilt the guilt yeah see so high achievers are motivated by guilt mm. so many of them moralistic people high moral people are primarily motivated by guilt uh, Tim Keller was uh, talking about how he does this Q&A with people wanting to join his church. And this is before he retired. And he says in there, people ask this question and say, well, wait a second. You're, you're saying that my guilt is all gone. But if my guilt is all gone, then what stops me from doing wrong things? And he says, well, what you don't understand is that that's a fear-based system. The reason why you're a good person is because you're afraid. You're afraid of paying a penalty. But in Christianity, Christ has paid the penalty. We, we do the right thing because it's an expression of who we are, not because we, we feel guilty we're if we don't. Penalty. If we're afraid of the penalty. John even talks about this in 1 John. <clears throat> he says, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. Mm. And then he talks about how God is love, and in him we have perfect love. So uh, why do people want lots of money? Why do people want lots of money? People say, well, because it makes me happy. Well, okay. Now, if we were to spend the time today, I would track back to the upstream nugget. You know what it is? Is they feel that they're not enough. Mm. Unless I have money, I won't be happy. Okay. Well, what you're saying is, unless I have money, I won't be able to get what I want in that because I'm not enough to be happy in and of myself. I need something to help make me happy because I can't certainly do it because I'm not enough and I feel guilty about who I am as a person. Okay, you see? that tracks. Yeah, that tracks. Why do people struggle with loneliness all the time? Isn't this interesting? Is we are some of the most lonely people out there. We are driven by loneliness, motivated by loneliness. Loneliness hangs over us because we don't feel like we're completely accepted. And we want friends that would accept us or people validate who we are. We want all of this kind of stuff. Well, where does that come from? A feeling that we're not enough, right? Which And so we feel guilty about it. Because we feel guilty about it, that personifies or comes out as guilt. So our, our psychological pain receptor says there's something wrong in there. You feel like you are not enough. You're not at peace. Why do, why do people want anything? Ultimately, we want more than we need because we feel guilty. Mm. You see, that's the thing that motivates it. Most people feel they're not enough. Most people don't measure up. Most people feel like um, they'll, they've made too many mistakes. And so they feel guilty about their mistakes. They're not doing enough, uh, not being pushed enough. And McGee talks about it in chapter 12 towards the end of his book. He says this, perhaps no emotion is more destructive than guilt. It causes a loss of self-respect. It causes the human spirit to wither. It eats away at our personal significance. Guilt is a strong motivation but it plays on our fears of failure and rejection. Therefore, it can never ultimately build, encourage, or inspire us in our desire to live for Christ. 
So everything in this world, in my contention, everything it has to offer is an attempt to alleviate your psychological guilt. And this is why Paul wrote in to the Colossians chapter two, verse eight, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. That's it. It depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. So that's really critical. You see, what we're doing, everything that we're doing in this world in a lot of ways is to try to alleviate that subconscious need which produces guilt in our lives and we're trying to get rid of it. And we think, well, if I get this, I'll be happy. If I get this, I'll be happy. And and that's really in my belief system, a way of saying, I won't feel guilty anymore. I'll be at peace, Mm. right? Happiness is I'll be at peace and full, you know, and, and free. Um, and yet we get all these things and we aren't right because we've been taken in by a deceptive philosophy. Yeah. I think it's interesting because this, this idea of our lack of self value or putting Mm -hmm. our value in something else really does spin out into so many areas of our life. And then we just don't really recognize that that's what we're doing. I mean, we see the, the signs of this, the symptoms of this and the, like, I need to, get more money. I need to have more friends on social media. I need all of this acceptance from all of these different people. It's like, if I'm more experiences, more more affirmation, you uh, cross the board. I'm more, I know I'm more complete quote unquote, but by the fact that you say you're more complete shows that you aren't complete, right? (laughs) Exactly. The inherent, the inherent truth in that statement is that you feel like you are not enough as you are. And therefore you have to go fill it with some self-help thing or money or sex or whatever it might be. And so you, but the world will tell you, well, no, you are enough, but make sure you do all of these things and make sure you define yourself in these terms. And then you are probably enough, but it doesn't matter because we're all just a mistake anyways. So and it relies on the tradition of men, you know, wow. If you are an athlete and you're great, you know, the tradition in America is, you know, uh, get your numbers up, get some good film, go to a D one program and then excel there and then make it to the NFL or the NBA or the MLB. And then you're going to make tons of money before you're 30 years old and your life is going to be set and it's going to be awesome. Right. Why do so many of these guys become poppers, drug addicts, they fall apart, they, they die feel young? They pressure of they're yeah. not enough as they are, right? And yet every young boy, if you ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Almost none of them will say, I'd like to be a pastor of a church. <laughs> now, yeah. I'm not saying that pastors are free from that. I'm just trying to illustrate the point. Almost every one of them says, I want to play in the NBA. Right. They have dreams of greatness. Yeah. So everything that we think brings us value is a tradition of man. That's what your point was, I think is excellent. So here's a question as we're talking about application. What philosophies are doing the most damage to our ability to have self-worth or or self-value and and are causing this lack of regeneration or renewal that we've been talking about? Well, if you remember when we talked about the categories on Tuesday, you say, okay, if I want to, how do I allow Jesus to renew me? Right. How, how does Jesus regenerate me emotionally, turn me into something new? Okay. Well, you have to have knowledge. So you're going to have to knowledge of the truth and that's critical. And so you're going to have to dig into what the Bible actually says, and you're going to have to get up to speed 
on your own life and your own influences and what Satan has done to trick you and deceive you in the past. Number two, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to try to break habitual sin habits. Habitual sin habits, you know, everybody makes mistakes. We all sin. But when, when like, if you're never going to grow emotionally, be renewed emotionally, if you're drinking a fifth of vodka every night after supper. Right. Right. That's okay. That's not going to work. If you're, you know, smoking crack, that's not going to, if you're gambling every night, if you're filling the blank, right? Right. You've got to break that pattern in order to grow emotionally. Otherwise you, you will be captive to it. Right. So it's really important to break that. The, the biggest thing though, is I think is that you have to, uh, realize that the there's deceptive philosophies and you have to be knowledgeable of them and how they influence you. And I think the one that influences us more than anything else and causes us to not grow and be renewed emotionally is everything to do with sex and sexuality. Uh, in the sixties, the sexual revolution had an incredibly dramatic effect on society. What happened in the sexual revolution is a new technology arose and that was called the pill. So women could take the pill and guess what? They could control whether they were going to get pregnant or not. A lot of people are not aware of this, but what the pill does is when you get on it, it tells your body you're pregnant. Mm. So what's the one time that your body doesn't, produce doesn't get pregnant is when it, it thinks it's pregnant. Right. And so, and now there's all this research coming out. It's really fascinating. And that is women got on the pill when they were teenagers and then they met a guy, they fell in love with the guy, right? They get married, they have two kids and then he goes off, he, he gets a vasectomy or they, she goes off the pill or she gets her tubes tied. She goes off the pill and guess what? She's not attracted to that guy anymore. Right. Because the pill dramatically impacts who a female is attracted to. You see, when she goes off the pill and she's not on the pill, the female tends to be attracted to more masculine men. Right. And what is the number one complaint of women today in marriages? I have married a passive man. And so this is really interesting, isn't it? So you have a whole 50 years of this. What do guys growing up to be is that out there in the world, and this isn't a religious perspective, this is just a psychological, a little analytics about this process, is that what will young men become in order to attract a mate? They become less masculine, mm. right? Yeah. They become less masculine to attract a mate because mates are now attracted to what? Less masculine less men. Masculine and all this is because of the pill. Isn't that interesting? That is. Now you took the pill technology that's done that, and then you add to it the uh, philosophical ideologies that were coupled that were really powerful that time, and that is Ma Marx and Darwin. You see, Marx's political ideologies coming out of the Frankfurt School of Social Theory, the philosopher Marcuse, and it coupled with Darwin Darwinian um, evolution and the origin of the species. You know, Marx and Darwin lived very close to the same time frame. And what that did is that allowed us now to create a construct ideologically where there is no God, which of course that's turned out to be disastrous. And what really is amazing is they then, the sexual revolution took Marx ideology, Darwinian scientific materialism, and then threw in Freud's sexuality. See, Freud took Marxist ideology and Darwin's scientific materialism 
and then interpreted human nature in that regard. And that's why he said that babies are sexual creatures. Now, everything that Freud postulated has been debunked 100%. Nothing in the clinical world of psychology is considered legit that Freud did. That's a fact. You can look it up, piece of cake. However, his value has now what? Been so seeded into our culture right. that now we live this way. As a matter of fact, I read an article last week in training where a woman said uh, in training on this radical gender ideology that babies in the womb know they're transgendered. Okay, that's what? patently absurd. <laughs> But that's what she said, and she believes that to be true. This is the uh, resulted in an absolute confusion over sexuality. What is it? Where does it come from? Where does it fit with my identity? All same-sex relationships, whether they be gay, meaning male to male, or lesbian, female to female, they are built on the philosophy that sexual orientation can be your identity as a human being. Canadian philosopher uh, Taylor said that we are now in the age of the psychological man. And this is what he says, I quote, individual identity is a dialogue. So your, your identity of who you believe yourself to be is a dialogue. Okay, with what? How a person thinks of himself, this is what I think of myself, is the result of learning the language of the community so he can be a part of the community. So whatever the community is talking about, whatever I think of myself in this dialogue, I determine. Well, back in the 80s, right, 70s and 80s, when I was growing up, it's not a big deal now, gayness and homosexuality was the discussion, right? right? And how the world was oppressing and all this kind of stuff. And so that was this big, huge push well now that's completely like uh, boring and old and now it's gender okay and what's really fascinating about it is that transgenderism is an absolute refutation of homosexuality they are antithetical to one another you see in gender ideology gender is fluid there is no male there is no f female it's whatever you believe yourself to be right so you, a uh, uh, male cannot be sexually attracted to male because male exist. is not a, <laughs> yeah, male is not a definite category. Mm. And this is what's really fascinating. According to the BBC, the advocate spectator Quora is you are transphobic. If you are a lesbian woman and you will not date a man who identifies as a female. Hmm. Should I say that again? No, you I are, heard it. It you, just sounds ridiculous. So you should do it again just so I can. Just a lesbian female is transphobic if she is not willing to date a male who has transitioned to female, even if it's post-op, you know, mm. isn't that interesting? Yeah. And so that there, so now lesbians feel pressured to date men who think that they're females, even though they're not anatomically. See how confusing this has gotten? So confusing. This is so confusing. You see, the point of society then has become, according to uh, Taylor's, this language, you know, of the society and community is to affirm whatever you believe yourself to be. 
Carl Truman, a philosopher who's written about this, he's out of uh, Center City College or something back east. He says, there is therefore an outward social dimension to my psychological well-being that demands others acknowledge my inward psychological identity. In other words, if you don't acknowledge my inward psychology, my oppression, then you are stigmatizing me. It's an act of violence against me and discrimination against me. Mm. So you have to not only tolerate me, you have to accept and affirm me, regardless of what I say. And the value, the philosophy, this empty philosophy of humans is based on my inner psychological consideration, not human nature in any way, shape or form. And that's why everything is so upside down. Now we have males who do not have a female brain. They've never had a female brain. Guess what? They are able to say, I am a female because I feel like I am. Okay. All of this is driven by a subconscious need to alleviate the guilt, the idea that you are not enough. There is something wrong with you. You see, what's happening in our society is what I call social contagion. If we go back to Taylor's notion, individual identity is a dialogue between what you think about yourself, right? And the result of learning the language of the community in which you are. And right now people are um, starting to say this gender ideology in our school system has gotten so crazy. Uh, There's a psychologist back east, she said, that 100% of my patients that are teenage girls consider themselves transgendered. There's been a 400% increase in school districts of middle school kids saying they're transgendered. Okay. Transgenderism is a result of a psychological condition called gender dysphoria. Correct. It is clinically proven to exist and it can be diagnosed and it represents a half of 1% of the population. How do you go from a half of 1% of the population to a 400% increase in 24 months? Yes. That's called a social contagion. It's happened before. Back in the 90s, you may not remember this, the big push was anorexia. And girls had anorexia like crazy and bulimia. It was this huge problem and all this kind of stuff. Guess what? The... Uh, psychological community mobilized, realized that it was a body dysmorphia issue because these girls were starving themselves to death, but they looked in the mirror and saw fat instead of skin and bones. So it's a real psychological issue. And so they treated that and guess what? How much do you read about anorexia today? Not at all. Not at all. And I mean, so, it's, it still exists, but it's yes. not, it's, it's not the hot topic that it's not a social contagion anymore where everybody's getting it. And there are still treatment centers, but they are far and few between because it's, it is a problem, but it's back to it's what it was before it became popularized by society. So the, the, these deceptive ideologies all revolve around sex, all revolves around what, and it has confused people and it's confusing young people more than ever before. And it's just getting crazy out there. Well, and I think just the ability to slog through this information is hard because it's like the idea of, well, I don't even have, it's almost like they thrive in the, you not keeping up on the, the condition because it is like a contagion it's constantly evolving it's constantly mutating and you're like wait i thought we were okay to say these things or i thought this is what this particular group was doing and now it's in a completely different state and it's like no why are you doing that and it's like i think the 
just the ability. It's like, I mean, everyone says this about technology too, right? The way the rate at which technology evolves is, mm -hmm. is, is crazy because we're, we're leaps and bounds, but this, this idea of a social contagion, like you said, where these ideologies have jumped from one month to the next month, being in a completely different location and, and state of being that it's like, how, how do you figure that out? Especially at a teenage age where you're all these things are happening in your body already. And you're like, well, maybe these things that they're saying are true about me. And so it's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's capitalizing on this time in people's lives when they don't know what they are. It's capitalizing when you have the worst amount of self worth and value, like middle school, when you have no idea who you are, what you're doing or what your body is. And it's just absolutely chaos right and then mm -hmm. capitalize on top of that the philosophies that have been spread throughout our world where people are able to connect with literally anyone on the planet and yet they feel so lonely and they can do so many things and yet they still feel no value and all of this is just kind of this perfect storm of crazy right and it, so yeah it's just getting nuts you know i mean here you go. A top psychologist says over half of her patients now identify as transgender. Um, an 80 year old woman was banned from the community pool because there was a male in the female locker room. This is an 80 year old woman. She saw this male in the locker room and how uncomfortable it made the other girls. So she went to the people and said, there's a male in there. You need to do something about it. So, oh, well he identifies as a woman. And so, they banned her from the pool, right? Uh, it, uh, I mean, it just goes on and on and on what's going on. So how do we heal from these ideologies or, or the empty philosophies? And how do we break free of this so that we can get away from the guilt? Because these ideologies are then just our natural desire to feel guilt that yeah. we need to let go of, like you talked about in your sermon on Sunday are already bad enough, but these ideologies are just propelling them even further forward than it, sh it, it already is. So, how well, do we I think we have that? to be really aware of it. I, I, I think that the, the trans stuff is just a, a contagion right now. That's so destructive because I've never met a preteen or an early teen girl who was not uncomfortable in her body, right? Their hormones are going crazy. They don't like things about themselves. Middle school is extremely difficult for girls. And I've never seen it. I've never met a girl who said, oh, I'm perfectly happy in my body. I, I just, wow. And so what happens is they say, well, the reason why you're uncomfortable and you feel weird and awkward around boys is because you're really something else. Right. And, and so I think this is horrible. It's terrible. You know, it's sexualizing kids. It's saying that, well, the reason you're uncomfortable or you have self-confidence issues is because of sexual stuff. And, and that's just nuts. No, it's not. It's because we live in a crazy world and it, you know, it, it's like, why is everything about sex, you know? And why is it about gender? And why is it about all of these things? It's just really crazy how bad it's gotten. And I think the only way we can heal from it is that we have to go back to the ethic that, look, we love sex. Sex is a healthy thing, but it really only works in the context of a particular, you know, environments marriage is one of those right. or the one of those <laughs> let's be specific marriage is the one it's awesome it's great we we want married couples to have really great sexual relationships and enjoy it and procreate and everything you know full quivers we love all that but 
because of the sexual revolution and these ideologies that have crept into our public education system and our media and our movies and everything else is that what's happened is we have a completely insane uh, ethic now that is so confusing to our kids. And what's going to happen is the only way to heal from that is to realize that your psychological guilt that you're carrying is because everyone has believed these ideologies at one point. Mm. You just have to accept that. My idea of, of, of really sexual fulfillment is probably warped. Everybody has to admit that because of the society in which we live. You say, but the reason I feel guilty about it isn't because I haven't figured out what sexual orientation I am or what sexual experience I need to get fulfilled. The reason I feel bad or feel guilt about it is because I'm positionally guilty of being out of God's will. And so when I come to salvation and then I'm redeemed, my positional guilt is eradicated. And now I, all my sins, the penalty has been paid propitiation, right? So now what I'm experiencing is psychological guilt. And the reason I'm speaking psychological guilt, uh, experiencing psychological guilt is because now I am not attempting to live out what Christ has done in me. I am still attempting. I'm still attempting. Let's say if somebody is dealing with same sex attractions, someone is dealing with same sex relationships, whatever, what it is, I'm still trying to build my identity on my sexual orientation. And you cannot do that. It right. just won't work. It's just exactly the same thing as somebody saying, well, I'm going to build my identity on my wealth. I'm, I'm, I have a lot of wealth. I'm a wealthy person. Guess what? I'm good. I have value. Right. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Right. You see, and, and so it's until we turn from that, we won't, because what'll happen is you'll have more sexual experiences. If you try to build it on your vow, more varied sexual experiences. And what ends up happening is you start to feel devalued and more guilty. It just becomes a cycle. And, and this is really important. What a lot of people don't tell this is, you know, the research is out there and people don't want to hear it. And this is why I'm the salty pastor, because of nobody else, I'll tell you, ladies, it is now proven that if you have sex, sexual relationships with more than five men, you will find it almost impossible to emotionally bond with another human being, another male in a relationship. You can't live your 20s going out, living wild and crazy, have a body count off the chart, and then turn 30 and go, okay, I'm ready to settle down. You can't be a non-traditional woman and then expect a traditional outcome. Mm. It's just not going to happen. It, so and the only way that you'll be able to emotionally bond with a person after your body count has gone over five, I know this is pretty salty stuff to talk about, but once that happens, guess what? You're, you're going to have to experience absolute regeneration emotionally by Christ. Otherwise, it'll never happen. Mm. You see, that's, the on, that's your only solution. If you want to try to have that traditional outcome and you lived crazy in your 20s, is that you're going to have to go and be renewed by Christ. And it isn't going to happen overnight. Right. Right. It took you years to get there. It's going to take you some time to change emotionally. Christ will do that. Christ is the healer. But you have to really lean into what Christ wants to do with you. Guys, if you go out and you're living crazy and you're doing all this kind of stuff, it's the exact same thing. You know, it's the exact same thing. You can't look back and say, well, I evolved and, you know, we're, I'm not designed to be monogamous. You know, this is an empty philosophy deception built on the tradition of men. 
Uh, it's just ridiculous. You're going to have the same problem. If you have a high body count, you're going to find that it's impossible to develop a, an emotional bond with the female. It's just not going to happen. So you're going to have to heal emotionally or it's going to be a struggle. And I can tell you this right now, a lot of young men are really not growing emotionally because they don't know how to deal with rejection. They, they're so afraid of being rejected. So what they do is instead of going out and getting married or dating other girls, they just watch porn, right? Because guess what? The sex act is not what entices a male in pornography. You know what it is that entices the male in pornography? Is that he's never rejected. Mm. He turns it on. He has 100% access to everything. There's no rejection. He's always accepted into it. Right. See, that is the, 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 that is the bait that pulls in males. And so you can be free from it. You can be healed from it and you can walk in a brand new thing for it. But what you can't do is be healed emotionally and regenerated and restored emotionally while you're still participating in it. Right. That, so that's really a powerful thing that you have to work through. And anybody who's willing to say, I can't do it on my own. I can't solve this problem on my own. And they turn to Christ for healing. Guess what happens? He's done all the work. You've been justified. You've been reconciled. And he is a propitiation. It, it works every single time. Well, thank you, Pastor, so much for sharing those thoughts with us. We're really excited to hear the grand finale of Higher Value this weekend. And uh, I just got to say, I think it's been started some healing already in our congregation. And I know there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this podcast and listen to your sermon and are going to get um, even more. So thank you so much for so. sharing with us. And tune in on Sunday for the grand finale of Higher Value here at Foothills Christian Church. Thanks. Blessings.